Good morning, Lake Church. How's everybody doing? Amen. Hallelujah. I want to read from Psalm 139 as we come to a very important part of um, the church, and that is the building up and the, uh, the blessing of families. You know, families come in all different shapes and sizes in our culture today, but the Lord's grace is there for all of them. Amen? And uh, we're grateful for what God is doing in our midst and uh, several young families. In fact, uh, the Lord um, spoke to me while we were worshiping the Lord, and I believe we need to pray over uh, many of our uh, young ladies that uh, are pregnant this morning. Amen? And uh, we've got quite a few. Uh, quite a few that are pregnant this morning. In fact, I found out I'm going to be a grandpa again. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. So that'll be number eight. Eight's a good number. Amen. But uh, we're going to dedicate a young one here that is very precious to our house and a uh, two very wonderful people that we love very much. And uh, so we're going to do that. But first, I always like to read from Psalm 139. And, uh, you know, David, as he is crying out to the Lord, he says this in the um, 13th verse. He says, For you formed me, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. And so we know that God always, when he answers with a child, when he brings a child into the earth, he equips that child with a destiny, a plan, and a purpose. And that there's no one that's born and brought into planet earth that doesn't have that. That there's already a book written about this precious one. And the goal of parents and the goal of church and the goal of grandparents and the goal of friends and family is to assist this child in the ability to perceive, know, and understand and walk in what God originally intended for them to walk in. Amen? Amen. And so we dedicate the parents is really what we do because the parents are the stewards of this wonderful gift from God. So if, if Allie and Kagan would come up here with their beautiful child, Olivia Jade Fox. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Isn't she beautiful? Absolutely. Absolutely. She's not going to let us see her face. Amen. <laughs> it's all right. It's wonderful to have 
this beautiful child here. Because when God sees something in the earth that he wants to fix, he sends a child. And gives the child the abilities and the giftings and the anointings to be able to bring a solution to a problem. Many people don't find their purpose. They lose it in the mix. They lose it in the minutia of life and the routine of life. And they get going down a wrong pattern. And sometimes it takes them even years, and some never even find it, in which they begin to perceive and say, no, I wasn't born to do this. I was born to do this. And so really the, the burden is the Holy Spirit in the two of these wonderful people here to help Olivia recognize the gift. And so we, we, we dedicate them because, you know what, God's already got his hand on this precious child. Amen? And so we're going to pray over her for protection, for strength, for health, for abundance and prosperity, and for the ability to see the will of God for her life. But we also pray for these parents to be able to help and assist her as well. Steward. You know, we're just simply stewards of children. You don't own them. Amen? And as they get older, you're going to find that out. <laughs> and uh, you got to be ready for it, my brother. You got to be ready for it, my sister. You got to be ready because they're going to have their own ideas and, and what they want to do. But you know what? Train up a child in the way that they should go, not in the way we want them to go, but in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. They'll always come back. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's just extend your hands towards these. Father, we just give you praise, and we thank you for the gift of Olivia. We thank you, Father God, that she is a gifted child. And we just lay our hands on her right now in Jesus' name, and we declare that she is going to be healthy, prosperous, active, intelligent. She's going to see and know and perceive your will for her life and the book that you've already written about her. She is going to know every chapter. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. And, Father, I lift up these parents, Father God, and I just thank you, Father, that they are blessed and anointed to steward this child and that they will help and assist this child in revealing the plan of God for, their, for her life. And I just thank you, Father God, that you're working in their life as well, drawing them closer, drawing them closer to your will and your desire for their individual lives. And we thank you as they partner together throughout life that you will be in the midst, guiding and leading and bringing great grace and mercy in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, God bless you, my brother. God bless you. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. So I would like uh, those that are pregnant here now, you know, I'd like for you to come up here. We're going to lay hands. Now, listen. <laughs> if you're with child, J.L., and, and uh, amen, Cassara. I know Michelle may be here. Yes, Michelle. We've... <laughs> Hallelujah. Is there anyone else? Hallelujah. Amen. Is there anyone else? Praise the Lord. 
Oh, yes, yes, angel, of course. I tell you what. Don't these women have a glow to them? Yes. Amen. Isn't it wonderful, the blessing of the Lord? And, uh, you know, there are many that are believing God for to be pregnant. And uh, we're standing with them. Amen. And uh, we believe in the word of the Lord that he blesses our children. Amen. And so I just felt led if they just line up right across over here to, to pray over them and you as well. Amen. And we just believe that these children will come full term and be healthy and have the highest APGAR scores. Amen. The doctors are going to be amazed and they're going to say, surely these are blessed children. God is in their midst. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So extend your hands towards these beautiful mothers right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you, Father God, as you instructed me to pray over these and to pray over these mothers. I just thank you, Father God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your provision and your protection upon this child and upon this mother. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Protection, provision. In the name of Jesus, health, health, health. In Jesus' name. Health for the mother in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Healthy, strong child in the name of Jesus. Healthy, strong child in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Healthy, strong child and healthy mama throughout the term. Right now in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, healthy, healthy, strong child. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. God is good. I said God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. So let's turn to Psalm 34 as we begin to endeavor in the just a few moments that I have with you together. You know, I've tried to abbreviate this. I'm lying through my teeth, but we'll try to get through this. Amen? We serve a good God. And we have been over these past few weeks, I believe it's been almost six weeks, that we've endeavored to share with you how good our God is. Because it's integral, whether you're without God here this morning or with God, that you have a revelation of the goodness of God. Because life is going to throw you curveballs. The enemy is going to attack your life. The thief is going to come. And he's going to come to steal and to kill and to destroy. And many times the great ruse or deception of the devil is that he will cause you to think that it is God that is doing these things in your life and cause you to blame God or get angry with God. 
and to even turn, you know, to extremities like saying there is no God because of something that you went through that the enemy has persuaded you that God was the perpetrator of. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is the absolute uh, deception of the enemy to get you to focus on the fact that God is stealing from you, killing and destroying your life. And uh, many times we, we validate that stance by looking at the Old Testament. But we need to understand that Jesus came to refine that focus and to give us a clearer picture. Because in the Old Testament we have a picture that is basically, uh, you know, uh, it's not obscured, but there, there, there is the law that's in between it. So it's not really clearly seen. Because, you know, God in covenant with people uh, had to operate a certain way. But when Jesus came onto the scene, I'm reminded of the fact that um, his disciples referred to the Old Testament when they were not given passage through Samaria. How many remember that in the Bible? They were not given passage to Samaria. And Samaria said, we don't want you. We don't want him. You know, just just go another way. And the disciples were mad. They were mad. I believe it was James and John. They were mad. And they said, Guess, listen, let's call fire down on them. <laughs> now that seems biblical because there was a prophet that did that. His name was Elijah. And that would seem somewhat reasonable, something, you know, if there's obstruction and something's coming to try to, you know, take that we just call down fire. They were totally within the right mind to even think that that would be a possibility because of their understanding of God through the Old Testament and the prophets. But notice what Jesus said. He said this. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Listen to that. I mean, if Jesus was totally in, you know, in accord with that, and that is the way he wanted to project the Father, he would have said, fry him. <laughs> Go forth, my brothers. Let them baste. <laughs> but he didn't. He looked at them and he said, you don't know what spirit you're of. What spirit are we of when we begin to attribute the wickedness of the devil to our loving God? Amen? Amen? But many times we do that. You know, we have questions like, well, if God's in control of everything then why am I going through what I'm going through? If God's in control of everything, why is there war in the Ukraine? Why are people losing their lives there? Why are two nations battling one another if God is in control and that God is sovereign? And we use that term sovereign, and that basically uh, is really not, there's not a... Hebrew or a Greek word in the scripture for sovereign. That was added by English translators. Okay? Is he sovereign? By definition, by Webster's definition, absolutely yes. 
But religious people take it as if God is in every decision, in every situation, and that he is controlling everything like a chessboard. Oh, it's getting quiet here. It's getting quiet. Okay, is he sovereign? Yeah, absolutely he's sovereign. He is God of gods. He, is, he doesn't need counsel from anyone else. And he doesn't need anybody, but he chooses to work through people. Amen? And so people will have phrases like, well, God is in control. It's generally when they're at their absolute end of everything that they feel that they could do. They'll say, well, God's in control, and, uh, or I believe everything happens for a reason. Duh. But sometimes that reason is your decisions. Sometimes it's just simply because you just made a stupid decision. Hello. You know, I mean, you knew you shouldn't have done that, and you ended up with the consequences, and now all of a sudden it's God's fault. That's kind of the way that we think. And people will say this, all things work together for good. Have you ever heard anybody say that? All things work together for good. You know, all things work together for good. Well, you know, they're quoting from Romans chapter 8, and they're quoting just a part of, part of that scripture. <laughs> there's a qualifier, because there's a lot of people that all things are not working together for good, <laughs> and they haven't been working together for good for a long, long time. It's all things work together for good to those who love God, and are called according to his purpose. Amen? In fact, uh, in the book of Ephesians, it talks about that uh, we were alienated from the life of God and without God in the world. So that tells me this, that there are certain segments of the population, those that are outside of Christ, that are without God. So when you're without God, is God working and making things happen? Just use your head. Amen? Use your head. Because people are attributing the works of the devil to the works work of God. And they're mad at God. I, I'm telling you what, the church is more mad at God than they are at the devil. I can't tell you how many times I've run into people, visited in their homes, counseled them across from the table. And it's, oh, I'm mad at God. God didn't do this, and I wanted this done, and it didn't happen. And my husband, I asked him to heal him, and he didn't. He died, and I'm mad. And those are very real emotions. Those are very real feelings that they have on the inside. And, and the devil has duped them into thinking that God had robbed from them and stolen from them. But see, the true north of anybody who believes the Bible and believes God is God is good. That's the true north because God says it. God, God advertises that he is good. Amen? But the problem with the church is, is that we have theology without experience. 
We read these words, but we're not experiencing them in our daily life. And it's real easy for us to deflect that over to the Lord and say, the reason why I'm not experiencing is God's fault. The reason why I'm not experiencing this aspect, it's God's fault. When really we've got to look at ourselves and we've got to realize that any theology that makes an excuse for me to live below the privileges and standard of Jesus is not a theology at all. Are you with me? Oh, my. We just had fun praying for babies, and now we're talking about serious stuff here. Any theology that lowers the standard of Jesus makes excuses for us to live below that standard isn't theology. It isn't true theology. The standard of Jesus is is intently high. It is a very high standard. But God would not put that upon us without giving us the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to be able to try to strive for that standard. I'm not there yet. How about you? But you know what? I'm continuing. Hello? I'm continuing in His grace to live by the standard of Jesus. So when I make that my aim and I realize that God is good, according to Psalm 118, it says, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Then what that does is it takes away any excuses I have. It takes away my ability to to explain away things. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, it passed away with the apostles. Uh, It's not, you know, it's not operating anymore. God doesn't heal. He heals when he wants to or he he delivers when he wants to. And we really don't know when that is. We just got to keep on pressing in and keep on trying. But if it doesn't happen, then, you know, it must be some kind of situation with him. It's his decision. But when Jesus hung on the cross... And he declared the words, it is finished. Basically, what he was saying is, is that God is finished with doing anything and everything about your situation in the earth. God's done. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And if you know anything about the priesthood, You know that there was no chairs in the tabernacle. There was no time for rest because they were continuously offering sacrifices to God on behalf of those that came to to God. But Jesus, once and for all, once and for all, offered the sacrifice of himself, gave himself and gave his life blood so that you could have life. And it says it's over, it's done. He went and he sat down because everything he's ever going to do about your sickness, about your addiction, about your family problem, about you has been done in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, it says, all the promises of God are yes and amen. So that means that it is a real spiritual reality that has to be confirmed upon planet earth. God's word is forever settled in heaven. It is up to us as believers to settle it upon the earth. 
and we settle it through our independent life. We bring God's Word and His Spirit into our life, and we begin to operate from that standard of heaven. And when it doesn't seem like it's not working, when we're fatigued and ready to faint, we don't make excuses. We don't quit churches. We don't stop reading the Bible. We don't stop praying. We don't stop doing it. Well, it ain't working. Well, it's not witchcraft, baby. It's total transformation from the root system out. You've got to understand that faith is of the heart. It's on the inside of you, and it has to be brought forth in the fruit of your life. So that means it's a process, is it not? So the problem is, is that we've got a lot of people who know what the Word says and love the Bible, but they're not experiencing anything. And I'm not saying, by no means am I saying that we should ever put experience over the Word. I would never say that. I would never say that. My personal experience, whether good or bad, must come underneath a microscope of this word right here. But I believe that we are to, as we sung this morning, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what Psalm 34 says in verse number 8. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. You know, that's the opposite of what we do in the world. We see and taste. I don't bite into an apple unless I see that there ain't no spots on it. (laughs) Amen? But many times, you know, we, we take spiritual things and we try to apply earthly principles to them, and we, we say that, well, I'm going to see and taste. And that's not the way spiritual things work. You taste and you see. How many remember hearing the first time you heard the gospel message and you felt the conviction of God in your life? I mean, I felt the conviction of God. Only Bob, only Bob, this whole group. <laughs> Amen? You felt the conviction and the pull of, the, uh, uh, of God, but yet you, you didn't go up. You didn't make a decision. It's hard for you to explain that conviction after you get out from under it. It's hard for you to. In fact, when you try to explain salvation and you're not saved, it doesn't merely make sense, does it? Or how about when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit? or you were seeking after the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you didn't fully understand it. And people that didn't have it tried to explain it to you. It doesn't work that way, does it? What you're doing is you're trying to apply see and taste. I want to see it before I taste it. No, we got to taste and see. So the the minute I, I, in, in October 1989, when I got saved in a yellow Cadillac, 
God does like yellow Cadillacs. He came in, he saved my life. I tasted and I saw. I tasted and I saw. I had to, by faith, believe that the gospel was real. I, I, I initiated by crying out. I didn't pray the sinner's prayer. I just uttered the name Jesus. I said, Jesus. And everything in that name, as I was saying, everything that I needed came out in that name. And, man, I was, I was translated from death to life. I mean, it's not something I could put into words. But as I tasted, then I began to see. It's the same with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wrestled with that for years. I wrestled with that for, well, it wasn't that long. It was, it was about a year because I was a Baptist. So I wrestled with it all the time. You know, I had people telling me it was of the devil. I had people telling me, you know, you don't need to be hanging around with people like that and stuff like that. That just made me want to hang out more, you know. <laughs> Hello. And, uh, you know, I had people, and they would try to explain it to me, and I just couldn't see it. I, I just could not see it. Why? What is this? But then when I tasted, now I don't see how I could ever live without. Amen? Do you understand that? So, the, so when it comes to spiritual things, God requires us to move by faith and taste, and then we see. Taste, and then we see. Amen? Do you understand that? And so uh, one of the best areas that you can taste and see that the Lord is good is in the area of test and trial. There's absolutely no way you're going to be able to fully experience the goodness of God if you're not experiencing trouble in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that God brings the trouble. It just means that when the enemy brings trouble, God is going to display his goodness. And it's a wonderful opportunity for you to be more persuaded of how good he is. Because if you allow him to work in your life in times of test and trial, then you'll begin to grow strong faith muscles. Amen? You'll be able to weather storms and be able to walk in your high places and be able to see giants fall and walled cities fall down in your life, but you got to be persuaded of the goodness of God because one thing that giants do is they begin to harass the goodness of God. They begin to you know, make uh, all kinds of threats and all kinds of uh, uh, chide you about the goodness of God to get you to be shaken off of your stand that God is good. Because your situation, the symptoms in your body, the fact that you're going through relational pain, the fact that you're, uh, you know, going through, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, financial pressure can get you to think, well, God's not really concerned about this. And maybe, you know, maybe he's mad at me. And maybe this is, and many times we get convinced that it's God that's causing our trouble. And so we stay in it thinking that it's our cross to bear. And that's a ruse of the enemy. You only bear one cross. Did you know that? You don't have an individual cross. Nobody has an individual cross. Well, this is just my cross to bear, talking about a sickness. 
<clears throat> or talking about some poverty or talking about some bad place they're in. Well, this is my cross to bear. No, you carry the same cross Jesus carried, which is the reconciliation of the world to God. That's your cross. It's not some individualized thing that you just want to put your little stamp, your little bumper sticker on the cross and say, you know, you know, eczema. No, the cross is the, is the purpose and plan and the, uh, the mission of Jesus. That's, that's a cross word to bear. Amen? People will always say that, well, this, I'm, I'm just bearing my cross. No, you're holding on to something that you could get rid of if you would see it through the Scripture and stop seeing it through your religious lens. Because there's people that take, I'm a, oh, I'm going to get all in you. There are people that take serious pride in being sick for God. And God's not even tempted with that. Do you think there's sickness in heaven? Then where does God get the sickness to put on you? Do you think there's poverty in heaven? His roads are what we value most in this world. Do you think there's poverty? Then where is he getting poverty to put it, put it on you? The reason poverty and sickness came into the world is because man opened the door to the devil to come into this world and to mess it up. We don't, God didn't do that. Amen? So let's look real quickly over to the book of James. Because we love James chapter 1 and verse number 17. We love this verse, but we don't like getting to the revelation of this verse. Because there's a road that gets us to this revelation. Okay? What does it say? Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of sh or shadow due to change. So what does he say? He's saying God doesn't change. God doesn't lurk in the shadows. There's no shadow spot in him. What you see is what you get, and that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Amen? Okay? So, notice that he qualifies the word good there. He says every good and perfect. Did you know the enemy likes to give good gifts? You know there's a good shepherd and there there's other shepherds. Amen? So there are, you know, um, things that are, you know, imitations and uh, things that can come into our life that make us think that we have what God said we have and it be something different. No, he says every good and perfect Every good and perfect 
gift. So you look up the word every in the Greek, it means every. We have to talk this simply because the enemy convolutes spiritual logic. The enemy complicates with religious verbiage and ideas the concepts of God and his grace, his mercy, and his goodness. Are you with me? But how do I arrive at that? Well, you got to read the rest of the chapter. you got to read the first of the chapter. Because if I'm going to operate from that basis that every good and perfect gift comes down from, I have to have some revelations of them, some things to come to that conclusion. And the, uh, the, uh, James says in the second verse of this same chapter, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials temptations, and tests of various kinds. He says, count it all joy. It doesn't mean that they're joyful. It doesn't mean they're going to make you want to dance. But when trial and temptation and test come to your life, the attitude needs to be not that my life is over, not that I don't know how I got in this, not how is God doing something, not that at all. We're to count it all joy. We're to account it as joy. This is going over real well. You count it as joy. Why? Because... See, there's a reason why we're to count it joy. We're not to count it joy blindly. We're to count it joy by revelation of something. Amen? And notice it says, it says, for you know that. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. They don't know that tests and trial from the enemy actually can work to your benefit when God's word and his power flows through your life because it's just an opportunity to show how big God is and how good God is and I'm telling you nothing can be taken away from you when you have walked through the road of experience seeing the goodness of God in the midst of trial there's no devil can take that away from you Hello. When you go through a test and trial and you trust in the Lord and you operate according to what the Word of God says, you put faith in your heart and you speak it out of your mouth and you put the, make the Word first place and you pray and you seek the face of God and you speak to your mountain and it gets removed, there's nothing that can take that away from you. There's nothing that can say, oh, well, that, you know, something else did that, you know. No, you, you know. I mean, when I was in the hospital and God lifted me off of the bed of sickness three times, three times he lifted me out of death. That can't be taken away from me. I have tasted and seen that God is good. So therefore the enemy can't come and say, well, it was the pills and it was the medicine and it was the doctor and it was this and that stuff. And he does that all the time. And it's not true. Did the doctors assist me? Absolutely. Did the nurses? Yes, they were messengers of mercy to me. But they didn't raise me up off of that bed. Yeah. 
And even they will tell you that I shouldn't have got up. In fact, they told, they told my wife, no one recovers from this. That's what they said. No one recovers from this. Well, guess what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And so when you see test and trial, your attitude is the number one thing you're going to have to check. Is your attitude hooked in with the word of God or is it hooked into your emotions? Because your emotions will manipulate you and deceive you. But if you hook up with the word of God, irrespective of how you feel, and you begin, see, it's important for you to say the word of God when you don't feel like it. In fact, that's the most important time to declare and decree what God has said. It's when you don't feel well. When you start saying, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed, and you got pain in your body, you are standing on the battleground on the surest foundation that there can be. And regardless of what you see, regardless of what you feel, the word of God is going to work because it is set above God's own name. And you will not be put to shame. Hello. You won't. But you got to have the right attitude. You got to have the right attitude. I mean, my goodness, if you get hooked up with your feelings, you're going to be whiny. You're going to be moaning and complaining, belly aching. That doesn't, that, that, that means that the very foundation of your life is, is something's ain't right with it. Because God is not, you're not persuaded God is good. See, the thing that I, when, when I understand that God is good, it supersedes anything I feel. It supersedes anything I think. See, I use it as my true north. When I'm confused, when I don't know everything, when I don't know the next step, God is good is my true north. Because the enemy will like to tell you, oh, it's God that's doing this. He's testing you and he's trying you and he's pushing you. He's trying to see your metal and your devotion level. Hello. As if you receive from God based on merit. See, that's what he wants. You, you, you're not getting it because you haven't reached that certain star level. When you reach the five-star level, then God takes his wand and goes, it shall be done. And, and that's not the way God works at all. That's the way other gods work. Those gods in your crystals, that's how they work. Hello? And then they're liars and deceivers. And Hello? That's not how God works. Your salvation, deliverance and healing is never based on your merit. So if it's never based on my merit, then my attitude towards test and trial can be counted all joy. Because God is good. He's going to get me through this. 
He's got me through 100. You know, you need to start listing off, you know, what he's got you through. And just remind the devil, well, I've been healed of asthma. I've been healed of this. God healed me here. I don't have pain in my back anymore. God healed me there. You begin to just go over and over and over. And what are you declaring? You're declaring the goodness of God. You're declaring the goodness of God in the midst of your problem, in the midst of your situation. Hello. See, because if the devil can get you into meriting, well, you're not reading enough, you don't go to church enough, you, you know, you, you, know you, you tied one on on Saturday night, you smoked a big fatty Friday, you know, you disqualified yourself. Well, I'm here to tell you that all it takes is a little adjustment it just takes someone saying, Jesus, forgive me. I need you. I cry out to you. And I'm telling you, he's there every single time. There's not one time that Jesus says, I can't help you. At my absolute worst, God is good. When my life is in a mess, God is good. When I don't quite understand what's going on in my life, God is still good. When I can't understand him and he's not necessarily talking to me and giving me information like I want it when I need it, God is still good. See, I, whether I choose to believe him or not, whether I choose to believe in him or not, does not change who he is. He is God and he is good. So I got to get a hold of myself. And that's what James is saying. You got to get a hold of yourself. You can't think on anything you want to think. You just can't take on those thoughts all the time. You got to cast down those imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against God, you got to get rid of that. And when someone comes in and gives you a report that doesn't line with this, you just very kindly just say, thank you so much, but I don't receive that. I'm not receiving that. The minute you walk out the door, you're walking out with what you brought in because it ain't staying here. I'm not, oh, come on now. Hello? Because I'm going to count it joy. Now, here's where we make the mistake. I'm not counting it joy that pain's in my body. I'm not counting it joy that my bank account's empty. I'm not counting it joy that, you know, my marriage is failing. I'm not counting it joy that that's happening. I'm counting it joy because God is good. And when my bank account's empty, he's still good, and he's going to help me, and he's going to, come on now, when I got pain in my body, I'm, God's still good. I'm just going to praise him. And I tap into the solution rather than focus on the problem. Amen? Now, notice what he says. He says, um, knowing this, well, what do we need to know? That the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, my translation says, or patience, as some translations say. And that's the word hupomano in the Greek, and it means to be able to stand underneath incredible pressure and keep standing. Doesn't matter what comes my way. Doesn't matter what kind of pressure the enemy tries to put on me. Praise God, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I've got the ability to stand. Amen? 
Because what happens is, is the devil will put pressure on you to get off the platform of faith, to get off of the fact that God is good. So you're saying, God is good, and he'll heal me of this. And then all of a sudden, foomp. And you've got to have the fortification to be able to stand in there. And guess what? When test and trial, no matter how small or how big, what it does is it gives you the muscles to be able to stand when the pressure is intense and other people fold. You'll be able to stand and the enemy will not be able to get you off of the faith foundation that God is good. Amen. So we need to rejoice. But then he takes it down to the next step. Notice we're getting to verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. This is revelation. How am I going to get to that, Jesse? I'm going to get to that by standing and realizing that the trial, it can't take me out. It can't kill me. It can't do what it's saying it's going to do. Because I serve a good God and I will not be put to shame. And it doesn't matter what I see in the natural. It doesn't matter what I feel and what words have been going back and forth. It doesn't matter at all. Because God is good and I'm going to stand on that and I'm going to say that regardless of what the doctor says, regardless of what, you know, people say, regardless of what the situation is saying. Because how many realize situations talk to you? It's amazing how things will animate. How many have ever tried to fast and walk down the cereal aisle? Every one of those cartoon characters is calling out to you. Come get some Toastios. They're great. Hello, little Debbie. She's a seductress. <laughs> Hello, she will. She, she winks at you as you drive by. Every time she'll wink at you, say, come get me. Oh, how I love your Swiss cake rolls. <laughs> Hello, things animate. Your blood pressure cuff can animate. Your blood sugar tester can animate. It talks to you. You ain't never going to get rid of this. You're going to be like this your whole life. Oh, it'll tell you. You ain't never going to have a good reading. You're going to be on medicine your whole life. You just might as well just accept it, write it off. That's what's going to happen. Hello. But when we realize that the trying of our faith works patience and that we're building muscles to be able to stand against extreme circumstances and we're given the tools and the ability to become overcomers. See, you don't become an overcomer just because you have a, a little badge that says overcomer on it. You don't become an overcomer when you have a little shirt that says I'm an overcomer. You over, you're an overcomer when you take what Jesus did yes. 
and you apply it in your life and you see the overcoming power. See, faith overcomes the world. Your faith overcomes the world. Amen? Okay, let's read on, all right? Notice that the, 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 uh, the development of this patience causes you to walk in a level, notice what he says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's why we should count it all joy. It's because, not because of the initial crisis or the initial report, but because we praise the end at the beginning. And we say, you know what? This is going to cause me, when I go through this, I'm going to be perfect, complete, and lack nothing. Now, you've got to make a choice. Either you can go through test and trial through Jesus and the Holy Spirit's leading, or you can go the way you want to. But if you go the way you want to, you're not going to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. You're going to be lacking a whole lot of stuff. And you're going to be making assumptions and belief systems that are going to be detrimental to your future. A lot of people, they begin to interpret their trial religiously. And they start blaming God. They start talking, well, God's trying to teach me something. God's trying to show me something. Well, the devil just loves that. The devil just loves that. Because basically what you're doing is you're creating a belief system that is going to be detrimental, you know, to your next faith fight. Because if you take that junk on and you begin to embrace that, then you don't have an answer. You don't have an answer at all. You don't have any solution whatsoever because God may do it. He may not do it. I'm telling you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning with him. If he healed in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he's going to heal right now. If he saves, he's going to save forever. If he delivers, it's going to be all the time. Amen? It's us that need the work. We need to stop trying to get God to come and modify himself and make himself where we can handle him. And we need to adjust ourselves and begin to realize that his ways are not our ways. And as high as, uh, as the heavens is from the earth, so far are removed his ways and his, 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 his character from ours. So we need to be in a position of modification and repentance and changing our mind daily so that we can be more in line with him rather than trying to yank him into our little world and put him in a little box and try to... Why don't you stretch yourself? Why don't you get out of your hidey hole and allow the standard of Jesus to be the marker for your life? That's a far more challenging, far more rewarding life than the life that you're presently living where you're trying to make God your puppet. Hello. The reason why we do that is because we've got a God complex. We want to be God. I want to control my situations my way, the way, that there's, the way that I think they should be done. And we put God in a box and God can't do what he needs to do. 
Amen? Amen. Okay. Then he goes on and he says, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. Notice that. It doesn't say fill out a form and then someday, somehow, God might get around to it. Hello, this isn't the DMV, folks. This isn't the masters of inefficiency that is the United States government. He says, if you lack wisdom, God will give it to you. If you'll ask him, he'll give it to you. And he'll give it to you generously. How many people believe that? Five, six. Hello. Sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes we just don't believe it. Hello. But he does because his word says he does. So he says this, he gives to all men generously to all without reproach. That means he's not going to find an excuse not to help you or say that's a stupid question. He's never going to say that. He's never going to upbraid you, the Bible says, the King James Version. He's not going to upbraid you, make fun of you because you asked this situation this question. God's going to give liberally. Amen? But let him ask in what? Let him ask in faith. Not shotgun prayers. I hope something sticks. Hello? No. Specific questions and asking in faith, believing that he gives to all men liberally and upbraids not. That's the belief that you have to have, that he gives wisdom. Yes. Amen? I'm here to tell you his wisdom will bring strength to your life. His wisdom will bring health to your life. His wisdom will bring, you know, abundance in your life in any area that you have. But you've got to ask in faith. And it goes on and says, now I've memorized this in the King James, so I'm having to go back to my translation here. It says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person might not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord because he is double-minded. That means he has his mind on two things. He's two-minded is what it means. Okay? So faith is a focus, is it not? Faith is a focus. We've got to focus on God, focus on the fact that he gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. That's how we ask in faith. We believe what the word says about him, and we pursue him based upon his word. When we do that, praise God, we're not asking double-minded. We're single-minded. We're, we're focused on what God has said. That's the reason why he gave us this word to begin with, is so that we could focus upon his word and focus upon what he said so that we could build a belief system that will release, amen, release the life of God into our situation, amen? Now, here's where I want to get to. I want us to drop down to verse number 12, all right? He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. He's going back to verse 2 and 3. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, he's not talking just generally about the crown of life that you receive when you go to heaven. He's talking about through the test and trial, when you go through, oh, get a hold of this. When you go through a particular test and trial and God brings you out on the other side, you've got a crown of authority. Hello. And the enemy has to recognize that crown. You've got that crown. You went through that before. You've got the T-shirt. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, so you've got the T-shirt. You know you've been through it. So now you have been given a crown that not only helps you when you go through that next situation, but you're able to help others. You're able to say, yeah, I went through that. That's what, you know, and although the situation may not be exactly the same, this is what the Lord taught me in that midst, and this may help you. Amen? So you see, but notice this. It says, let no one. Who? No one. Who? No one. Who? No one. Who? No one but your preacher? No one but your mama? No one but daddy. Let no one say. Oh, come on. Let no one say after he is tempted. Now, this word tempted is very interesting. It is a word in the Greek that has different meanings. It can mean test. It can mean trial. It can mean tribulation. But it also means to be squashed or to be dashed beyond repair. How many believe that the enemy wants to squash you and dash you beyond repair? How am I going to get to every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights? Well, I'm going to have to get a revelation that God's not into dashing me into pieces and squashing me like grapes. Well, you might be saying out there, well, I would never say that. I would never do that. I would never say that. Well, I've, I've been around people enough, and I've been around myself enough to know that when you get pushed pretty hard, you say some pretty stupid stuff. Hello. I mean, my wife and I have been going through it, going through some pressure, you know, in our life, dealing with situations that, you know, that are normal life, normal fallen life, not, not divine life, but normal fallen life, and they're very heartbreaking, very heartbreaking. And I just lost my mind recently. I mean, I lost my mind last week. And I said some stupid stuff, unbiblical <laughs> stuff, because of pressure. And it was why God why and how God how and when God when and all that moaning and whining and 
Hello, I've been there. Just listen. I have to take my medicine just like you. But it says, don't let any man say when he has been, it's been tempted to be squashed and to be broken beyond repair because that's what the enemy wants to do with his temptation, his test, and his trial. He says, don't say this. Don't say this. Let no one say this, okay? I am being squashed. I am being tried. I am being tested. I am being by who? Is this the Bible? Is this the Word of God? You have to understand that there's a difference between the testing of the devil and the testings of God. God always tests you with what he gives you. The devil tests you with what you don't have. It's very different. See, and God doesn't test you to squash you like a grape and to break you beyond repair. The enemy seeks to break you beyond repair. Amen? So he's telling us, let no one say, let no one say that when he has went through temptation, I was tempted by God. Is that what the Bible says? Jesus said the thief comes not before to steal, to kill and destroy, but I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. He, right there, he delineates the two. Good God, bad devil. Very simple. But boy, how many of us lose ourselves on that revelation? We just lose ourselves on that. And we end up, you know, not reading the Bible for months on a time, not praying and coming to church months on a time because of some disappointment in our life. Because we've said what he told us not to say. People don't come to church because they're mad at the devil. They don't come to church because sometimes they're mad at God. And it's because they lack understanding. They lack understanding. See, you got to search this book. It's not just something you can just read surface. And I mean, this has to be delved into. you got to go to work because the Bible agrees. You read it surfacely, it seems like it doesn't agree. But you dig into it, it begins to agree. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's exactly right because this is a composite picture, a composite drawing of Jesus Christ. Notice this, okay, all right? For God cannot be tempted with evil. So anything that is evil in your life isn't of God. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed by their own desires. Blaming God. I don't know how I got myself in this mess. I don't know how I got myself in jail. You did something illegal. <laughs> Hello. I've ran out of time. But I'm here to tell you, whether you are watching from a jail cell 
or a hospital bed, or you're here in perfect health thinking about what you're going to eat in just a few moments. God is good. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Now we're going to have ministers that are going to be up here. If you have a need in any area whatsoever, I would love for you to come up here. Don't walk out the way you came in. There's transformation in the house. Amen. Hallelujah. And tonight we're going to finish Abaddon, Apollo, and Shiva in the great global reset. Six o'clock right out here at uh, the Student Ministries building at six o'clock. It's going to be a good, powerful time. We're going to be talking about current events and how this whole situation is working out. And we'd love to see you there at 6 p.m. And then next week, next week we are going to be celebrating our 15th anniversary. Amen. And we've got some special things in plan, plan for that. We're going to have some very special guests, and it's going to be a wonderful time. So bring family and friends. It's going to be a great, great service. And then 9 o'clock, we're going to have Shekinah Glory with us, and it's going to be a powerful Holy Ghost time. They're also going to be with us at 6 p.m., 6.30 p.m. I think that's what the bulletin says, 6.30 They'll be here at 6.30 that night, and it is going to be a wonderful, powerful service. These people, they, I've known them for years, and they move in, in the powerful anointing of the Lord. You're going to be tremendously blessed by this ministry. But they're going to be ministering at our 9 o'clock service. But right after our 9 o'clock service, we're not going to have another service. We're going to have a party. Yeah. Amen? So I encourage every one of you to come to 9 and just stay with us. And, we'll, of course, we'll wrap up at noon or whatever. But 9 to noon, come be with us. We're going to have some good eats. We're going to have some good fellowship. We're going to have some good fun. And then we're going to come back at 630, and we're going to just see the Holy Ghost just raise the roof for us. Amen? And so I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you also that this is a food truck Sunday. Yes. And why do we have food truck Sunday? For missions. Amen? So anything that you get there, a portion of that goes towards missions. So there's some good stuff. There's uh, wonderful uh, street tacos and things of that nature Joel and Ronnie have. And then we got Mexi dogs. I call them sexy dogs. Uh, very good stuff. Every, you know, a portion of what you sow will go to missions. Amen? Hallelujah. God bless. All right.